When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's hot in the strip clubs? Your hosts, the 2016 and 2017 recipients of the Exotic Dancer Publications DJ of the Year Award, Danny Myers and Alon Fong. All right, we are back with Darren Hultrowitz. I think I said it right. I got it right. I'm behind the curtain of what's hot in the strip clubs podcast on the Pantheon podcast network found on all major streaming platforms, or you can go to our website, www.whatshotitsc.com. Now we're talking to Darren about his book, how David Lee Roth changed the world. So we're going to get now into Dave's sort of solo life, solo career. So of course it starts with the super band, uh, the Edom and Smile band, as they are known, Billy Sheehan on bass, Steve Vai on guitar, Greg Bissonette on drums, and then Brett Tuggle as a touring keyboardist. Give me a bottle of anything and a glazed donut to go. To go. Saw that show. I think Eat Him and Smile came out first or 5150 came out first? I thought it was Eat Him and Smile. Okay. Then that helps me. Eat Him and Smile was my first concert ever. All right. Mm -hmm. To this day, it is still the best concert I've ever seen. That set the bar way too high. I saw it at Pittsburgh Civic Arena. I actually managed to score sixth row front middle seats. The seats were incredible. I was 15 years old, 16 years old, my first show. And Roth comes out. I think they opened with Romeo Delight or something like that. Um, and then Shy Boy, I think is what they opened with on that tour. Okay, you're right. Shy Boy. Yeah. And he stops and does this. Yeah. Mouth agape, mic out to the audience, looking around, hand up in the air. That one put in the dead, you know, not dead spotlight on him alone. Place goes freaking nuts. Yeah. Goosebumps telling the story. He brings the mic closer to his mouth. Crowd then stops, looks around in wonderment. Crowd gets louder, puts the mic back out to the crowd. He yeah. does this three or four times, probably two minutes. The place is losing its freaking mind. Never seen anything like it. No music playing. He's not talking. Just the place losing their collective brains. It was insane. I believe it. And then he finally hits you with the, ah, oh, you missed me, Pittsburgh. Look at all the people here tonight. You know, right? And then it goes on from there. Phenomenal show. Mind blown. 16-year-old me was like, that's what I want to do. Forget about it. And then six months later, whatever it is, I see my second show, which is 5150. Probably my second favorite show. Those guys were on fire too. They both bands had something to prove. Yeah. Right. And both were at the top of their games. Vocally, Roth still sounded great. He was great showman all around him. Great musicianship around him. Same with Van Halen. Hagar's vocals were incredible. So Dave gets fired from Van Halen. 
creates this band, goes out on tour. The album does at least double platinum, I believe. Uh, what did you dig up about that first tour album band that you can tell us? Aside from Billy Sheehan, none of the people in that band were the first choice. Really? I did not know that. Bissonette, I sort of knew. Yeah, Chris Frazier was the first choice, or at least supposed to be the guy. And he later played with me by uh, a drummer. Yeah, but who did he play with prior to the Unknown? Was he an unknown guy? I, I thought he was unknownish, but ultimately a lot of Steve Vai projects. He's okay. a very respected drummer in general. Guitarist before Steve I was supposed to be Steve Stevens, but he couldn't rap oh. his Billy Idol dates, or so has been said in recent years. Okay. And keyboardist was originally supposed to be Jesse Harms, who ironically later played with Sammy for a yeah. long time. Wow. I did not know the Steve Stevens thing. Okay. That would have been an interesting band, too. Yeah. I'm sure it would have been fantastic. I think any band would have been whipped into shape by Dave the way that they wanted. Dave wanted them to be. That's right. the best way I could put it. And by the way, Dave has come to light more recently, at least I didn't know this, was quite the taskmaster on his band. Very Prince or James Brown-like. Oh, he yeah. He's shit. He's got more. That's what I was saying earlier. He's got more musical knowledge than he's given credit for. I've heard it both ways. I've heard that he's street smart. He knows what he wants, but whether or not it's actually physically possible, attainable, or makes sense is a different story. Ah. He'll change his mind a lot about what he wants. So hmm. somebody that was in a recent band, I don't want to name who it is because it's off the record. Maybe they're okay. under NDA, that kind of a thing. Said he would go like, I want to do that live, no tracks. And then here go, I want it with tracks. And then here go, nah, let's do it without tracks. <laughs> so you look at that or you look at the the Vegas run that happened in early 2020 right before COVID. And the band shown in the photos is not the band that played with him in Vegas. Ah. Brett Tuggle, you can look, is in the photos, and he did not make it into the band. Okay. So Tuggle was in and out a few times. There's There's been musicians who've been in and out a few times. Terry Kilgore in and out a few times. Rocket mm -hmm. was shot. Rocket was there to pick up the slack from Terry. Mm -hmm. uh, Tuggle, again, was in and out. Bissonette came back for some of those John Five sessions. But there's a lot of people who Dave went, come back, and they no, not a chance. Interesting. Now, I've recently heard that he and Bissonette didn't get along, or they do? I believe they do get along, but Bissonette is under an NDA. Ah, okay. One, one Bissonette is, and one Bissonette is not. So Matt is not. Matt is not. Matt is one of the nicest human beings you'll ever encounter, still playing with Elton John on this never-ending farewell tour, or did mm -hmm. the farewell end no i think it's still going <laughs> i yes. didn't know he was playing with him that's cool yeah he's been he's been there for a long time and then greg greg is super nice one of my favorite things i've ever seen of greg well okay real favorite thing whenever he does like a drum tutorial where he shows how he plays hot for teacher mm -hmm. and smile, awesome but did you ever hear this casino commercial voiceover that greg bissonette does no it's for some California desert casino. And okay. He's got a voice like Super Dave Osborne. Like, his voice is kind of like this. So you hear, you see here, Greg Bissonette do a casino voiceover. It's like, come to Pachanga Casino. Uh, I'll see if I can find it for you. Yeah, please send it my way. That'd be great. Yeah, he, he's he's great. He was really nice when I spoke with him. And I did it without 
getting too Dave-ish, like I saved the two or three Dave questions for the end. Okay. Okay. Even Smile does really well. Tor does great. Steve I sticks around to do Skyscraper with him. Sheehan didn't mm-hmm. like the, the musical direction of the band, but he speaks highly of Dave and of his time there. So it seems like Sheehan's cool. People have blown up uh, why he left. But from what I've been able to suss out, it's not that bad. Dave wanted the pop thing. Well, we can get into Billy in a second. Dave always wanted pop success. Yeah. And the direction of Skyscraper, was that really label push? They made it sound like the label really wanted him to go in a more pop direction. And that's why she and left, or was it all Dave, or was it a, they both agreed? I can only speculate on a few of these things. The first is that Billy was sacked from the band, but they don't put it out there. Now, Billy Sheehan, Steve Vai, Greg Bissonette know where all the bodies are buried. They didn't have the happiest time in the world with Dave. They all seem to have this whole thing of like, he took a chance on me. He elevated me to the next level. I learned so much about showbiz from being around him. I learned a lot. It's fantastic. But I'm glad it's over. They don't talk crap about Dave, but at the same time, okay, so when I started writing this book, I just thought that everyone was going to give me these amazing stories about what was so inspiring and wonderful about Dave. And I went to this one person who worked in Dave's house for a while. They, I'm not going to give away. Like a contractor or a musician? Somebody on the team that was not a manager, but created content. Got it. Worked on content. You're good. Okay. That person, I said, hey, so I'm writing a book about Dave Lee Roth. I'd like to interview you for it. It's Don't worry. It's going to be a positive book because I want to cement Dave's legacy because he's not doing it. And that person goes, what, is he paying you to write this book? (laughs) And at first I thought, this person is jaded. Wow. Not really. And then over time, I learned what it's really like working for David Lee Roth. All these people have been dealing with these same things. It's just been hidden better at different times. I don't think that Dave just suddenly got hard to deal with. I think he always was hard to deal with. That's what I've heard. It's the kind of thing where you learn to deal with it when you're being paid handsomely. Yeah. The years when he was not paying people handsomely, they went, I don't need this. Right. (laughs) So there's been different eras. Of that stuff, but at the same time, I don't think Vi, Bissonette, and Sheehan made that much money. They needed to go to the next gig. So if you're Billy Sheehan, yes, you get some publishing money from Shy Boy, but it's not that much. And you signed over your publishing to Dave right. for him to collect it and admin. But somebody like him goes, so I make this much with Dave. If I've got my own band that has a record deal, I make this much sure. potentially. Why am I playing second fiddle? and always on my toes. I've got ideas too. <laughs> right. So, you know, three points. Number one is Dave has always been known to be a control freak, even back to the Van Halen days, right? Yes. Number two is all those guys we mentioned, Vi, Sheehan, and Bissonette, unequivocally were better for playing with David Lee Roth. They became household names. They became not just musician geek fanboys, but everyone knew their name. Yeah. Vi, you know, obviously Sheehan had Mr. Big that was brewing. Eric Martin almost... I know he auditioned for Van Halen or got the call from Eddie. Yeah. Uh, he shared that story. I interviewed him and he talked about that. Yeah. And so they all did better. You know, Vi went on to do White Snake and his own big solo instrumental stuff and so on and so forth. Bissonette has played with everybody. He was more of a jazz guy to he's begin still with. In anyway. Ringo's band, all these right. He's a Ringo are... Ringo star. Hey, I gotta I gotta interrupt you. The coolest credit that Bissonette, I think Matt Bissonette 
and Rocket Rashad and maybe another former David Lee Roth credit had. When you watch an episode of Friends mm-hmm. playing the music coming in and out of commercials, they played on the Friends score. Oh, no so way. Those residuals are. Woo-hoo! Yeah. Yeah. So, people, if you don't know, <laughs> a sync licensing is where the money is made for a musician now, period. You don't make money from streaming or selling downloads or albums anymore. You make it through sponsorships, partnerships, content creation, and then sync licensing, which means you get your music in commercials, movies, television shows, or you might even write stuff specifically for them. Or union residuals off of playing on stuff like in in their case. So I sidebarred and sidetracked back to you, Elon. Yeah, no, and I want to help the people who don't know the music industry like you and I do. So when Darren mentioned that Billy Sheen had given up his publishing. So that means songwriting, publishing rights. That's where you make a lot of your money if you're the songwriter. And so he wrote Shy Boy with his original band called Talus. And Dave liked the song and chose it to be on the album. And so he gets a big songwriting credit for that. And to be in the band, he had to give up his publishing. He still got paid. Allegedly. Diamond Dave Publishing was collecting the royalties and then piping them through. That's what I was getting to next. So what a lot of people not in the music industry don't know is... You would think this is like your work job where you, okay, I get set up my publishing. The record label is going to send me a check. Nope. You got to pursue them constantly to get all your monies. It's a pain in the ass and it's different in every market. So you have your publishing set up in the UK, Europe, you have it in America, blah, blah, blah. American publishing is what we're talking about predominantly. But either way, you have these companies that collect for you. And even then you have to be on top of your people to be on top of them to get the payment to you. So in this case, Billy had to trust that Dave would get him the check and that it would be accurate. So it's it's a lot of stuff that goes on in the music industry. It's not like a normal nine to five job you and I are used to dealing with. We sign a contract to work somewhere maybe, or we just get hired and your paycheck shows up every two yeah. weeks and you really don't have to worry about getting screwed because it's right there in front of you. It's pretty easy to formulate and see what you should have gotten paid. It's not that easy to discover the numbers you should be getting paid based on album sales. Okay. I just wanted to give that to my listeners who don't really understand that. Yeah. So I think that you sign kind of a, a one-sided deal with uh, when you when you join Dave's band, where yes, you're playing in front of fifteen thousand people, you know, give or take, but you're playing to fifteen thousand people, and your face is on the T-shirts, and your face is on the photos, and you're signing autographs. But at the end of the day, and I'm making up a number here, it's a like a three grand or a five week. grand. Yeah, week. you're a side man, kind of job. But you're not on tour for fifty two weeks in the year. Maybe you get your retainer. So it's your pretty, your DM, yeah, pretty, all that stuff. Maybe you get that kind of stuff, but it's not like Billy Sheen leaves a daily Rothman with $400,000 in the bank or anything right. like that. It's okay. Where's my next gig? So a lot of these people leave Dave's band or leave Dave's camp and they go, okay, well, let me get the next gig. <laughs> well, they have a good brand now. So that's, you know, you take the job for branding. At the end of the day, that's what we now you would call it branding. You, you're now a household name. You know, Dave's got this massive brand that is Diamond, David Lee Roth, Van Halen, blah, blah, blah. You're Steve Vai, Billy Sheehan, Greg Bissonette, Jason Becker, John Five, Ray Lugier, unknown guys at the time to the public. You sign with him, all of a sudden you're in the stratosphere, right? You're not going to get an equal cut as Dave because his name is the bigger brand. And you get yeah. paid sideman money most of the time. If you're lucky and you write a song, you might get some publishing, but you probably negotiated some of that away when you signed the deal to sign with the band. But you will get your sideman pay. You'll get a per diem. And really, you don't have any expenses when you're on the road. So you can kind of bank most of it if you're smart. If you're smart. If you're smart. That's <laughs> but, the key. But they're musicians. But then, of course, 
<laughs> of course, those people learn. So after Ray Luzier leaves Dave's band, and he's one of the longest tenured people to ever play with Dave, he then has a band called Army of Anyone, mm-hmm. where he's a proper member yeah. with uh, the DeLeos from Stunt Over Pilots and Richard right. Patrick. And then after that combusts, he joins Korn, mm-hmm. and he becomes a member of Korn. He's no longer a sideman right. or, or a hired gunner or something that like that. Then there's other people. Like you look at Guns and Roses, most of the people turned out to be sidemen. Yeah. They signed the wrong thing, or they just joined. And it's like, do you want to play the biggest band in the world or not? Okay, so if you're Gilby Clark, you're not retired. Yes, you made a lot of money, but you were salaried. Right. You don't really have a long-term interest aside from you getting a solo deal out of it. So I think a lot of people, they think of Bissonettes, both of the Bissonettes and all that. It's like rock gods, but yeah, they still had to work. Yeah, absolutely. They didn't call it jump, Panama, running with the devil well, they weren't, for teacher. Yeah, they weren't songwriters. <laughs> That's where the big money is. If you write a hit, you know, there's always new residual income from radio play to streaming to downloading because it's always going to be in the millions and it's always going to be picked up to be used in television shows or movies. And you can get you know, as the songwriter, you can get 50, 100,000, depends what your your fee is for certain songs. It's going to be more for the bigger songs, obviously. Yeah. So I, I'm not, I know you know that. I just want my listeners to understand. Oh, to- okay. totally. Now, now, to clarify, Matt Bissonnette did have a record deal before Roth, mm-hmm. but I think the the trivia is that the album came out on the same label the same day Bon Jovi Slippery When Wet. Mm-hmm. It was a band called like 8440. Which band do you think the label? Mm-hmm. Who are they going to push, right? Yeah, I think. Did okay. Because you look at major labels and how many albums come out versus how many albums actually get pushed versus how many of those albums actually make money because they are properly played on the radio and TV and all that kind of stuff. Dave's world is filled with people who almost right. made it. And sometimes those almost people like John Five is the epitome of a guy who almost made it like yep. 20 times. Now he's a hired gun though. Rob Zombie, now he's a Motley Crue. Look, he's a phenomenal player. Everybody knows it. I remember when I heard that 1997 album, I think the John Five album, it's just called David Lee Roth Band, DLR Band, right? I think. Yes. It was, it was definitely the closest we heard to Van Halen. The only problem is voice, Ross voice was shot. And let's be honest, and I love Ross voice, once he lost his high falsetto end, which I would say started around the Lil and Enough tour, because actually his performance on the Lil Enough record was great, I thought, vocally. He could still hit a lot of his screams. It was still high end, but live is when I noticed the, really the big difference in his voice. And yeah. after that, now, why well, he's been legendarily referenced in numerous cocaine stories, and he's got the permagrin. He looks like the Joker. I think he's done so much. He's always like grinding his teeth and whatever, right? Allegedly, Allegedly, of course. I don't know the guy. I just know people who know (laughs) stories and blah, blah, blah. And you see him in the press and he's got the permagrin most of the time. And cocaine does horrible, as does liquor and smoking. And I know he was a cigarette smoker for a long time. Does horrible things to your voice. He's got the rasp and he wants that. But for as health conscious as he was in many ways, (laughs) he wasn't that worried about taking care of his instrument. And like for me, as a massive Roth fan, I loved all almost all his solo stuff. Seeing him live now is almost cringeworthy. One on the look on the 08 tour, he kind of looked like a Jewish train conductor, uh, the way he dressed on stage. And then he went in Yakuza mode on me in 2015. But the biggest thing for me was his voice does really weird things now. And a lot of the moves that yeah. I loved as younger now comes over a little cringy now that he's 60 and doesn't have the hair. He's still ripped. Give the guy credit. He looks great, you know, yeah. physically. Yeah, I, I didn't even go see the 2015 tour because I saw the 08 show. You know, I, I I never got to see him live 
with Van Halen in his prime. I got at least, thank God, I got to see him on Eat Him a Smile Tour because he was amazing. Yeah. And look, he's 60 plus. So, it, you know, I'm not bagging on him too hard. The male voice tends to get lower and you lose your high end and all that stuff as you get older. Okay, let's take a short break here. We'll be right back with Darren Polchowitz. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Welcome back to Behind the Curtain, a What's Hot in the Strip Club's podcast on the Pantheon Podcast Network. We're talking to Darren Paltrowitz, the author of DLR book, How David Lee Roth Saved the World. Let's dive into a little more of post-Van Halen, David Lee Roth. In your in your research, so we so we went from double, triple platinum air range, Freedom of Smile, Skyscraper still went platinum, and a little enough went gold. It went platinum, but it shipped, okay. it shipped platinum. I don't know if this is getting too inside baseball, but I think we're conditioned to think that Skyscraper was a big hit. The mm-hmm. tour was amazing. And it sold pretty well, and it did go to you know Europe, Australia, and Japan. None of the tours, none of the solo tours after that did the world like this. They weren't arena productions. And also, the album was not two or three or four or five times platinum. The first few albums with Sammy, I think 5150 was like six times right. platinum. Then the next one was four. Right. Then the next one was three. The next one was two. And then I think Balance came back and was three or four times mm-hmm. platinum. And what that means is shipped platinum. Right. That doesn't mean they sold all those copies. It's mm-hmm. just that's the number they, they certified went out. 
and that was all in the heyday of Columbia House and BMG, right. 12 CDs for a penny and all that. Nowadays, it's much easier, believe it or not, to get a platinum record because YouTube and Spotify as... added into those, yeah. which is bizarro. But uh, Skyscraper has not gone retro retroactively multi-platinum. And the reason I mentioned that is Devo, I think Whip It a couple weeks ago went double or triple platinum. Only now? Yeah, but still, like Devo was never a multi-platinum band. It's just basically Yeah, but that song was huge. Still is huge. Yeah. Uh, we put it at our wedding, it got everyone on the dance floor. Everyone <laughs> still loves Whip It. But yes. uh it, it's just the streams and all that add up and lead to hits. And I don't see just like Paradise with a 10 times platinum plaque or anything right. like that. I just don't think it was as big as we kind of remember it being. That's where I'm going. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't come off as huge. The video was cool. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny that he used to criticize, nobody wants to hear you play keyboards, you're a guitar hero. But then his second album, Out the Gate, is like all keyboards. All keyboards for the most part, yeah. That softening the sound was almost a betrayal to, van, to his fans, I feel like. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I, I really like Skyscraper, except too. Two Fools a Minute. Yeah. That's really tough to listen to i kind of like perfect timing it's also kind of hard to listen to some of that album is pretty bad but, they're good uh, pop songs but they're not like two fools a minute to me is like on the inside off 5150 <laughs> yeah yeah van hagar does also have its embarrassing things like up for breakfast which i yeah. believe i mentioned earlier but i think that skyscraper we remember it for being bigger than it was mm -hmm. because of how big just like paradise was and the follow-up single stand up did nothing uh, yeah it has a video did nothing and there wasn't a third video there is a third radio single but not a third video in that day and age you know if it was a hit album third video fourth video, fourth fifth, right they should have released skyscraper it's probably the most rocking song on the album and it's yeah. not a lot of keyboards but at least it had all the Vi stuff you would expect and want to see and want to hear, right? And then a little enough comes out. By this point, Vi is gone. He finds yeah. Jason Becker, who could have been a massive guitar hero, and then, but he got ALS. But then Dave was tried to do a tour and was stuck. Uh, not stuck. That's not fair. Got Joe Holmes, I think, to play with him on that tour, right? Joe Holmes for all the dates, also second guitars for some of the dates. He had Desi Rex from Demals, who Dave, I believe, is managing also. But neither guy could even play the parts of Eddie or Steve Vai, like they weren't even close stylistically or chops wise. So I know it's this because I saw him here in Columbus. It was Roth with Extreme and Cinderella. So at least Nuno was tearing it up. I'm surprised he never approached Nuno, to be honest. Anyways, he might have. He might have. Yeah. Might Nuno's have. like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> I like Nuno, by the way, fantastic drummer. People don't really mm -hmm. think of him as a drummer, but that guy could do everything. He still looks 25 looks years younger yeah. than he is. Everyone likes Nuno. I've never met him, but somebody texted me about working with him last night on a secret project. Everyone likes Nuno. Steve Perry likes Nuno. Yeah. I, I'm going to see them. The, my top five bands are probably Van Halen, Extreme, and Living Color. So I'm, I'm doing all right, and I, I'm going to get to meet them. So I'll let you know how that goes. But <laughs> well, well, weird fun fact about Extreme is I, I didn't know this, but a friend from my childhood punk rock DIY scene where you go to the all ages shows. I didn't realize sure. wrote, the only song he ever wrote was on the latest Extreme album, 
It's that ska song called Beautiful Girls. Oh, it's a great song. Great pop song. Written written by Jordan Plosky. No shit. From a ska band here. That's awesome. So I'm curious to learn more about that, how that wound up. Is it that Carl Restivo was best friend to Jordan and brought it? I don't know. Yeah, that's really cool. The Rise album is phenomenal, by the way. The Extreme album is really good. Still, there's that short list of, of bands from that era who are still doing their best work. Yeah, they're one of them. Extremes, one of them. The last two albums, uh, Soldatus to Rock was great too. All right, but I digress. Yes. This is about Roth. Yeah. What I'm more interested in talking about, I'm not going to get into every song and all that stuff. And then, because then he did some weird, he did that Nile Rogers record, which is really yeah. weird. Not a fan. Yeah, not a fan either. Then he did the DLR band with, with John Five, a sort of return to form. And then he did a covers album. It's just called Diamond Dave, which is another but, but weird. But there's also some little things between those two. If you like, okay. if you really want to get into the, into the weeds because you could go oh so you did an album every three or four years and blah 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 no 94 gave you your filthy little mouth that terrible album with nile rogers which my dlr cast co-host swears is a good album it's like no it's not it's a reggae song called no big ting it is terrible (laughs) like she's my machine is awesome big train is awesome the rest lots of garbage okay so that's 94. 95 was the vegas residency that that was so bad oh god when he was on the tonight show or was it was it Leno he was on? Oh my yes. God, so bad. Is did he have the line fifteen gets you twenty? Yeah. <laughs> then ninety six is the botched Van Halen. Yeah. But still, we get those two new songs there. Ninety seven is the autobiography. Oh, okay, that was all right. So let's back up then. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk the Vegas thing. <laughs> like I said earlier in the show, he's had some cringeworthy moments for me. Love Roth. In his prime, every girl wanted to bang him. Every guy wanted to be him. He was macho, but he was, yes, he was misogynistic, but it was tongue-in-cheek. It was fun, athletic, everything you could possibly want in a rock star. By the time we get to the Vegas stuff, you know, his look has changed. (laughs) His hair is going. It's fine. We all get older. You got to deal with it, right? You and I barely have any hair. Uh, (laughs) I've shaved mine off. I've given up hope. But I get that he had the vaudevillian background. Mm-hmm. And I, but by that point, his name is already sort of not Sterling. And he goes to Vegas to put on a lounge show with no guitar, with no guitar, right? It was just horns. So it was very, uh, uh, Cab Calloway ish. Yeah. It was song and dance man with female dancers who didn't wear a lot of clothing and him telling jokes. And, and he's not the best vocalist, like on a jazz level. Like you, you don't think of Roth as like, yeah, he can scat, but it's sort of the white man's version of scatting. Yeah. It look, that's not my favorite era. A, a couple of years later, when he eventually rebrands himself and goes, I am Van Halen and I'm going to do the Van Halen songs you want to hear. I think he's singing wise. Fantastic. From 99 to maybe Oh seven. Fantastic. Really? Doing all the kicks and the jumps and singing I mean, he's got this new scream Yelp thing, which he then starts doing every 20 seconds. Which is annoying. I started putting up super cuts of just Dave yelling. <laughs> uh, I put up another one two days ago that you could find on YouTube and TikTok. And he, he does it way too much. But I think vocally he's back. Really? See, he lost his high end to me, and I, I found the new Yelp annoying. That's just me. He had these hell screams <laughs> in Van Halen that were amazing. The two-tone thing he's known for. Yeah, and he couldn't do that anymore. Yeah, it's it's annoying, but he's still mostly singing right. the songs. Whereas in 
2015 and thereafter, he's like talking a high register around the vocal melody that you want to hear, belting notes that aren't in, in the, the original. Why and Why did he start so high is my other question. You know your high end's gone. Give yourself some room. Like he's starting up here. I, I didn't understand that. So I've asked people who, again, are off the record. I yep. hate to have to say that kind of stuff. But he totally knows the people that stick around are the people who give him the honest feedback that go like, that's what I've heard. I know he doesn't like yes men from what I've heard. So the first show in Vegas in January 2020, somebody I know that that's worked around him, he goes, how do you think it went tonight? And they went, not good. Yeah. You talk too much. You're not singing the melodies. Yeah. So whether or not he does anything with that feedback is another thing. But people are telling him, dude, you're not good. Now, his current manager, I don't think, tells him any of that yeah. stuff. Because you know the video of him knocking on the door in Vegas at the bachelor party? No, I haven't seen that. Oh, Elon. Okay. <laughs> he, this is right before COVID. Okay. I think he was in Vegas to quote, sing jump with Armin Van Buren. Yeah, I and, saw, I saw that performance at least with Armin Van Buren. <laughs> yeah. So that was God awful. Yeah. Embarrassing. Embarrassing. Terrible. So I guess around then he was staying at some hotel in Vegas for that, you know, not just flying back. His manager or one of somebody on his team goes, hey, Dave, they were listening to Van Halen before. You should knock on the door and surprise them. <laughs> I don't think he got all the facts. He knocks on the door. And he kind of goes like, hey, I heard you guys are listening to some Van Halen. And he takes off and says, I am Van Halen. I'm David Lee Roth, and it's good to be here. The guy, I'm not kidding, goes, okay, we'll keep it down. <laughs> he didn't know that it's Daily right. Roth. Why would you? Maybe didn't, didn't, yeah. So maybe it's like they were listening to classic rock right. mix on Pandora. That's and funny. Played. So after he does that, this embarrassing thing, you hear his manager. Yeah, that was great. They love that. <laughs> and then they put it. They put it on his YouTube channel, and you'll watch us go. Like if you have normal, feels I understand not being able to read emotions. Okay, being on the spectrum, but you watch and go, oh, that's embarrassing. yeah. Wow, I'll have to go out. watch that. Uh, real quick, so back in 19, 2019, Armin Van Buren is a huge trance DJ, techno DJ, for those of you who don't know. Yeah. And he actually got the rights to do a remix of Van Halen's Jump, which is unbelievable. I assume Eddie signed off on it as well. It would probably take both of them, Dave and Eddie, right? You, you don't really need permission to do a remix until there's video components. You're trying to change the songwriting credits. If they kept the songwriting credits the way they were and you're mm -hmm. paying the standard mechanical royalties, you, you don't need permission but if you then putting out a live video of okay. that performance different okay story, i wanted to explain that in case you all didn't know who armin van buren was he's one of the bigger trans djs in the world and dave actually got up on stage at a edm festival and sang go you can find it on youtube we'll just leave it at that you have to do air quotes yeah he does yell jump and, and he, he yells tries jump to jump a, lot a little of bit times. the original reunion in 96 falls apart at the vmas they're doing the greatest, best of both worlds album, and they do Me Wise Magic, which is a great track. And the other one with him was Yes, can't get the stuff no more. That was all right too. They're both really good. They're better than the Hagar stuff. Okay, but Me Wise Magic yeah, is fantastic. Me, but we, Me Wise Magic is is incredible. Great return to form. Everyone was excited, thinking he's coming back. I know I was excited, and then it doesn't happen. They almost kill each other at the VMAs. Famously, Dave makes comment about "Don't talk about your hip anymore," and Eddie wants to kick him in the balls, and it, it just goes off the rails. Okay. From that, Dave goes into his 
DLR band soon after 97, which was John five and Ray Lugier. Now the drummer of corn. He was also the drummer of the band with the stone temple pilots guys, the DeLeo brothers, uh, army of one with an army of army, army of anyone. anyone. Okay. Thank you. And so another great drummer guitarist duo two high level players. Fun fact. I just discovered the other day is Ray Lugier is from Pittsburgh and we're about the same age. So yes. Oh, he's on the list with Rusty Kondiev and Tom Savini. Yeah, Savini. Yeah, there's he, a lot of history. But I didn't know Ray Lugier was, so I get, I'm, I'm excited about that. And actually, he's married to a friend of mine's uh, stepsister, half-sister, half I think. <laughs> Never met him, but just, you know, putting that up. Before we get back into the music, we talked a little bit about Dave sort of being a lonely, unhappy guy. Now, I've heard stories in New York City. Allegedly, a friend of mine was at the bar at either Stringfellows or Scores during the 90s. Stringfellows, okay. yes. Stringfellows. Yes. Yeah. And Dave's <laughs> and my buddy is a long haired guy and was great with the ladies. And all the girls love sitting at his bar. And he was very popular with the ladies. And Dave's like, hey, could you introduce me to da, da, da. And he's looking at me? He goes, dude, you're David Lee Roth. Why do I? Why don't you just go up and talk to them? And he's like, no, no, just have talk to him for me. <laughs> and my buddy was like, how do you not know how to talk? You just go up and say, hi, I'm Dave. And they're going to drop their panties practically. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you're a millionaire. You know, why is it? Why do I got it? Anyway. So in, but, in that era, he he still looked like David Lee yeah. Roth. He still had been on TV in recent memory. And they go, oh, that is somebody known. Sure. <laughs> yes. Agreed. And I mean, look, he, you know, the 90s, he was on the Stern show a lot. Stern was in string fellows all the time. Scores. That's when the whole New York strip club scene was the biggest strip club scene in the industry at the time. Uh, then it moved to Vegas and now it's sort of in Texas and South Florida more than anywhere else. But what, what about Scottsdale? No, well, they, uh, Arizona. I've worked in Arizona. The Lodge or so. Are you Do you live in Arizona? No, I'm from Long Island, but I remember hearing that uh, Scottsdale's nothing but strippers. Oh, they're, oh, because oh, yeah, he talked about it on the Dave show. Uh, a lot of porn stars do live up in Scottsdale. I know Jenna Jameson used to live there back in the 90s and all that stuff when she was huge. Yeah, there are a lot of strip clubs in Phoenix. And I will say, for my money, I think Phoenix has the hottest women in the country, bar none. And I've been around most of the big cities. A lot of hot women okay. in Phoenix. <laughs> so, Good job on the strip clubs there. <laughs> so Dave, like we talked about, probably didn't have any friends growing up that he kept. And what if he's on the spectrum, that would explain a lot of it. Can't confirm. I, I don't know. Just, he, people have surmised that he, he is. And he looks at friendships as a transactional thing. and Which is sad. James who I do like a lot, believe it or not, is kind of like that as well. Who is? Gene Simmons. Oh, Gene Simmons. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah, I've heard all sorts of stories about him. So if he's bitter and angry was what we kind of hear now behind the scenes, behind the mask, mm -hmm. right? I guess he do, still has some bitterness towards Van Halen based on recent stuff, oh, yeah. but it sounded like they became good buddies towards the end. I don't think so. No, they traveled separately. The um, sign that floats around Facebook a lot, because I'm on some of the Facebook groups where it's a set list uh, from the reunion show and it says at the bottom, Van Halen's doing a runner, Dave sticking around. Uh, do you know what uh -huh. I mean by a runner? Uh -uh. You get off the stage and you immediately start running, whether literally or not, to the police escort or the bus. Or right. Okay. Okay. To get you out of there to go to the airport to get you out of there. Because most of the time, you know, when you're playing in Louisville on a major tour, you're not sleeping in Louisville. You're getting on the plane, right. going back to your central hub hotel in Chicago or whatever, and you're staying in the same hotel every night no matter where your gig. Oh, okay. That's how a lot of people have figured out. It's actually profitable. You feel like it's home. It's not such a transient sure. thing. 
So the three Van Halens were together on that tour. Dave was not with them. Okay. Uh, pretty much only saw each other on stage. Whereas Eddie was just walking around and going into all the dressing rooms and talking to everybody. And yeah, that's why I've heard like the opening acts, Kenny Wayne Shepherd and everybody yeah. else kind of talks about that. And 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 did not Wolfgang has done interviews where he said, Yeah, I only saw Dave on stage. Wow, that's wild. I will say, like, the one video has been going around where Roth is on stage next to Eddie. It seems like a pretty genuine moment where he says, The best times of my life have been on stage with you, Eddie. And they have they seems like they have a genuine moment. It's possible if I could rain on your parade and be an absolute prick. Go ahead. So that same show, because <laughs> I've watched it, the Hollywood Bowl 2015 okay. second show, there's a part of it where Roth is talking and nothing registers on Ed's face. Now, when you see the Van Halen soundcheck, because there's lots of footage of them soundchecking, it's just them three, no singer. Right. So right. I had a theory, and I can't prove it, that they didn't have Dave's vocals in their monitors. He never needed them. So when he always said it famously, I always have Alex and I'm sure now Wolfie in my monitors. So they knew the material that great. And Dave could be long winded and annoying. Yeah. So is there a chance that Eddie didn't hear that comment? <laughs> I just went. <laughs> yeah. Thumbs like, up. Oh, he stopped talking. <laughs> oh, perfect. This is great. I can like, play again <laughs> like that because there, there was one part in that show where I think he said, you know, it reminds you of smoke on the water and you don't see anything in Ed's face. And then he says again, play smoke on the water, like that kind of a thing. And then he yeah. plays. It's like he didn't hear it the first time. Okay. So okay. who knows what's actually in. Actually, yeah. Okay. Okay. That's fair. So if Roth is as unhappy as I guess a lot of the people you've talked to behind the scenes have said, and even Dave has said he's angry and, and unhappy yeah. in a lot of interviews. Which to me is sad just because of the exploratory nature of his personality, like whether it's living in Tokyo, living in New York, you know, what we know about human beings is we are creatures of connection, mm -hmm. right? And that's where happiness lies. So whether it's with your significant other or your friend group or your family, most of us have some element of that somewhere in our lives. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like he's not overly close to his family. I think he's close with his sisters. Okay. But. Yeah, I don't. And then everybody else is just transactional. I'm I'm just guessing. It just seems like that because there's other people you see hanging out all the time, or their social media is about them guest guesting all the time. Sammy's big on that. Whether or not you believe that's the life he he leads, Sammy's very much the it takes a village kind of thing. Uh, my friend Kevin, who from the band Lit, who did the yeah. photos for this book, uh, I, right before I went on this, I looked. Uh, on Instagram, and there he and Lit were with Vince Neal from yesterday or something like that. In Nashville? And Vince lives in Nashville now. He's in Nashville. I think it was Rock Island in Florida, and Vince Neal came up on stage to, you know, sing a song with them. Cool. And, and hung out with them backstage. When's the last time you heard of Dave just coming up on stage? Motley Crue right. from 1980, uh, Jailhouse Rock? <laughs> right. That, that's about it. Uh, right. maybe well, I think his ego won't let him just be the guest. Yeah, Sammy will come up if you ask him nicely. Oh, yeah. A lot of people love that kind of thing. Brett Michaels will show up, but yeah, anywhere, <laughs> anywhere. Dave, no, it's about Dave though. That makes sense with what we know of him. Stephen Piercy will show up anywhere and have a good time. There's certain people who are just collaborative by nature, and Dave, yeah. for as much of an inquiring mind as he is, it doesn't seem like he's out to make. 
sense. If that okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Well, I think he likes his freedom, not answering to anybody. He said that on why he didn't get married, why he, you know, I wasn't wired to do that. That's just not me. And, you know, he lived in Tokyo in what, the early 2010s or the aughts, what was it? Yeah. Yeah. I know he, I know it folded now, but that tattoo cream company went under, right? Yeah, I'm still trying to get the full story on that. I didn't realize a publicist I regularly deal with was his publicist in that. Oh, he just randomly texted that to me a week or two ago and went like, what? Yeah, went under 22, I think. Yeah, Inc. The original uh, was that company and supposedly he lost seven million dollars. Seven million. Yeah, that's the number I heard, too. It's a lot of money. It's it's biz- that one is bizarro on so many levels because he was doing every media opportunity he could for a little while. He does this thing where he decides, I'm just going to do every interview. And then the first one or two you hear go, oh, Dave's back. This is great. And then by the third one, when you hear the same stories, you go, oh, too much Dave. Too much go Dave. away. A bit. Well, it's like when he's on Rogan, right? So did he yeah. go? So what was up with the do you know anything about the why the Yakuza type tattoos? He got a uh, Hor- Horiyoshi the third or Horiyoshi yeah, the famous III, tattoo artist uh, did those. I, I guess he was just super interested in that. He was learning the Japanese language. He's living in Japan. That's mm-hmm. why I call that chapter Tokyo Dave. Okay. And he became really friendly with the famous sumo wrestler Konoshiki. Oh, really? Who I spoke with for a little bit. Konoshiki, even though he's from Hawaii and American, Pretty unknown in the states, and then yeah, of course, recognizable known celebrities ever in Japan. Yeah, he's on the cover of that Aerosmith Big Ones um, yep. comp, and I guess he just immersed himself where he went. Okay, I'm going to do Japanese things with Japanese people, and I'm Japanese Dave now. And then I guess he got tired after that. Uh, I think he had some bad business things over there, and, and I'm back to they do business differently there. Let's just say that. Yeah, I, I my personal um, thing, and you'll tell me if this is what you've dealt with, people won't say no. They say maybe, and you're supposed to interpret that as a, oh, that means no, but you don't right. know that. In Asian culture, yeah, you don't want to insult people by saying no. And it's true for many Asian cultures. I know Chinese culture, obviously, more than I know Japanese, but I've heard the same about Japanese. So there's a sort of hemming hawing way of of saying i don't want to do it or oh sure we'll talk about that later and never really committing yeah and you know little things like business gets done in china i can speak more at three in the morning when everyone is drinking and the alcohol is like 140 proof there you know what i mean and it's just accepted that's when you get business gets done you don't say no to go out to drinks because that's when business gets done so there's some big cultural differences when you go over there if you're going to do business there you kind of need to learn that before you spend millions of dollars or you're going to get took Yeah, so what I'd heard from people who were there, who I interviewed for the book, was that they Dave wanted to do business, and he had big aspirations and big goals for Japan. It wasn't just, hey, I'm going to eat some sushi and hang out. It was, no, this (laughs) this was the new Dave. And I think he was disappointed by some of the progress and the old school kind of stuff, and they didn't necessarily want to see the new Dave. Right. And it didn't pan out and he was back to L.A. But the thing is, when people talk about Dave's failures, it's also a negative. When Sheryl Crow's first album, and I'm making up numbers, sells 11 million albums. Yeah, the next huge. album sells 4 million. And they're like, what a disappointment. You go, it's 4 million albums, people. Yeah, that's not a disappointment. Yeah. So if Dave. Nobody's second album. Almost nobody's second album sells as good as the first one. Van Halen's didn't. No. 
I mean, 1984 eventually went diamond. Eventually, six albums later, five albums later. Yeah, so I think that a lot of people are easy to pick, point out Dave's, quote, failures, but the number of successes that he has is outstanding. The number of hit songs really? he's had, the number of songs okay. that are still getting played. And they're like... Now, what about business? Like, Sammy Hagar famously is a mega successful businessman. Yeah. From Cabo Wabo Cantina to the tequila to the rum to the restaurants yeah. to the bike stop he sold, the bike the bike thing in San Francisco to... I can't remember. There's some other big ones. Fire that became sprinkler like, thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> huge, huge brands. Does Dave have anything like that in his uh, success story outside of music? He's tried. There's a chance that there's some real estate stuff that I don't okay. know about. Okay. Uh, but at the same time, he was an EMT for funsies, not for money. Yeah, that was weird. But at the same yeah. time, when his movie didn't get paid, uh, get made, he got paid a big settlement. When his right. radio gig ended, he got paid a really big settlement. So those were seven figure settlements that he got did he su- did he sue end up suing cbs i know last already talked to he was going to but then it might have just gone to settling i couldn't tell you if it was settled or a lawsuit but he got paid big time on that and he got big yeah, yeah. he he got taken care of so what a, what a failure he worked for a couple of months and then got a seven figure settlement to not do anything what a yeah failure. no kidding Nope, my <laughs> right there. He made more money not working than he would have made working. What a failure. <laughs> yes, and the, the, the problem is his brand has suffered hit after hit after hit. Yes. And it, I think it's because his self-awareness as to where he is in relationship to his own image, he's clueless. And so I, I feel like he still thinks he's Diamond Day from 84, 85, 86. And dude, that, that ship sailed like a long decades ago totally. and you had to learn to reinvent yourself. You know, Sammy, despite being a billionaire, I believe, or damn close to it because of all the businesses, he's made more money outside of music than he did with music. Of course, his name helps. So the music helped, but he's also generated, generated this every man brand mm-hmm. relationship to the public so that even if he missteps, it's okay. Cause he's just Sam, you know, yeah, he's the new Jimmy Buffett from right. Carter rock. Seen and you've seen a lot of people. Brett Michaels, who we were just talking about, is one of those doing the same with lots of mm-hmm. successes. So I look at a lot of the steps that Dave makes, and you go, "That's the exact opposite of what you you should be doing. You should be more like David Coverdale. Coverdale he cannot sing like he used to sing, so he's Which just still hilarious. Sing. Yeah, and also leads the crowd like this. And yeah, and Coverdale is awesome, and we all like Coverdale. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally get it. Or look at Axel. Like I know I've been on tour with the Guns N' Roses guys in '11, and like back when it was DJ Ashba and Fortis and Oh, nice uh, Bumblefoot. And that lineup actually music was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Axel was singing his ass off. He was still able to go on whenever he wanted because he didn't answer to anybody else. You know, people don't know that with Guns N' Roses now. Now it's different. There's no big backstage parties anymore because Slash and Duff don't want to deal with that. They have their own buses, their own management. So it's just a different animal. But the guns of 11, 13, first of all, they were killer live. Mm-hmm. And uh, Axel was on point. And th- at the end of the day, bro, people criticizing his voice too, but he's a 60 year old man who is still singing two and a half to three hours a night. And nobody does that anymore. Yeah. I don't throw shade uh, to speak like a young person at Axel. Yeah. I, I don't do that for the performance or the output. I throw shade at Axel for the making people wait. Where I'm going with all that is. Axel's brand, in my opinion, 
keeps increasing in coolness and yeah. value. So you see 12-year-olds who are obviously not alive when Guns N' Roses was cool right. wearing a Guns N' Roses shirt or a Def Leppard shirt or a Motley Crue shirt. Do not see 12-year-olds wearing Van Halen shirts. Now, Van Halen's music popped up in Cobra Kai last season. They used the whole on-chain. It's in Rocket League, Applebee's, McDonald's. It's getting used, but they're not capitalizing to keep the legacy alive. So one of the things that I kept in mind with writing this book was I want people to think that Dave is cool, despite all the negative things I've been saying, because I don't want the legacy to die. Be tarnished. Van Halen is handling the legacy. Yes. No one's going to remember how big they were. It's going to be like Grand Funk Railroad or Credence Corridor Revival, where it's this big band where the infighting derailed everything. So there's yeah. no merch. Yeah. Well, I think Eddie is still cool. And, yes. you know, and Van Halen is still cool. Alex controls the strings now, from what I understand of things. Yeah. Right. And he just doesn't care to deal with it right now. I think he's still too. Uh, his brother and him were so close. I get it. It may be a while before he is willing to go there emotionally as a human being. There may be more to it than that. I don't know, but I don't, I don't think Roth has much say in that anymore. And like you said, his choices and look again, I am a huge Roth fan and I agree. How did David Roth change the world? He changed the world. He, he was the biggest front man to me. The two best front men in the history of rock and roll are David Lee Roth and Freddie Mercury. And for different yeah. reasons, period yeah. that from 78 to hell, 86, Roth was the best frontman in rock and roll, period, hands down. My opinion. You're not hearing me argue. <laughs> okay. And he changed, you know, literally a whole, everyone wanted, look, Janie Lane, Vince Neil, Brett Michaels. You can go mm-hmm. on and on and on. Uh, Mark Torine from the Bullet Boys. You can go on and on and on for all the people who tried to be Roth like me. I never made it, but I sounded like Roth. I was actually athletic enough and did martial arts so I could put my foot behind my head and do all the kicks and splits. So I did it. Nice. You know what I mean? And uh, there was just, and then Eddie, same thing, influenced every guitarist from the minute Van Halen one dropped till today, practically, even Cobain says he was blown away by him. And so the difference is every band that followed, especially in the eighties, it wasn't as authentic. They were trying to be Van Halen and they weren't Van Halen. Van Halen, that was just how they expressed themselves. All of them from Roth to Eddie to Alex Everyone else was like, that's really cool. I want to be that, that energy, that primal energy, that thing that I want, that I see in the videos and on stage. That's what I want to do. But it wasn't really who they were. Right. It's it's like when you see wrestling bad guys in real life are the sweetest people, the nicest yeah. people, and then the good guys you meet in life and they have no time for you. They don't want to take the photos or the autograph. It's the exact opposite. So Dave sells the smiles diamond dave and then real life dave is not like that and eddie has the biggest smile ever on stage and unfortunately he had a lot of demons i don't fault him he some people are born like that he had a lot of trauma in his life whether or not you want to you know delve into that but he did not have a wonderful upbringing where his parents had to flee due to racism and economic repercussions due to that. So the dad played for free on a cruise ship where the kids had to panhandle and uh, came over with 20 bucks and a piano. And then they didn't speak the language. Oh yeah. That must've been a great childhood. The immigrant life is not easy, my friend. So the title of your book, how David Lee Roth changed the world in your mind, how would you say David Lee Roth changed the world? There were there were few artists more synonymous with early MTV 
and David Lee Roth or Van Halen. And early MTV alone changed the world. That was the cultural shift on so many levels. So the amount of times that everyone saw Van Halen and David Lee Roth, it changed how people dressed or wanted to dress or wanted to look. Before Van Halen, not a lot of bands smiled on stage. That's true. That's true. There were lots of smiles. All right. What is your favorite? All right. I'll give you three. Top three Van Halen songs. Hmm. I don't really think like that. I mean, Hot for Teacher, I never, ever get tired of. Uh, okay. When, when I'm at a bar that has a digital jukebox, that always comes on four times. I, I keep playing it <laughs> to see who notices, that kind of a thing. Maybe Light Up the Sky. Oh, great song. And I'll Wait. Okay. Okay. Top three David Lee Roth solo songs. To me, just what I said about Hot for Teacher, same thing with Just Like Paradise. Never gets old to me. Okay. The bottom line is super underrated. Ooh, okay. And Yankee Rose in Spanish. <laughs> I, I have that cd single somewhere yeah <laughs> so i'll go with some of mine so shy boy definitely up there great um elephant gun was freaking amazing great track yeah i i liked it's showtime and slam dunk too like i like that high-end boogie you so. like hot for teacher over and over and over again yes yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's just a little different right all right we've we've come up to the david ross stuff let's have a little fun are you ready for the questions i have for you sir i i hope so all right, it's time for the question that's made famous by Bernard Pivot and James Lipton on Inside the Actor Studio. Darren, you are now on the hot seat. What is your favorite word? Oh, I like the Lipton Howard Stern. <laughs> that's that's where my mind went with all that. Uh, since What's your favorite word? Since it's David Lee Roth, would say, what was that? Ah, what was that? Okay. What is your least favorite word? No. Oh, I like that one. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Uh, and this is not a one-word thing? No. I think that inspiration generally comes when you're not looking for it. So if you can get yourself super comfortable into the things that relax you, that's when the best ideas come to you. And I don't mean through chemicals. I mean just yeah. right state of mind. Eddie Van Halen says he just uh, he just turns on the spigot, right? He's just a a tool for the universe to Eight express. Long. Right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. What turns you off? Same way, creatively, spiritually, emotionally. Uh, the idea of let's do lunch, saying that to somebody, and that's your way of saying I never want to speak to you again. The <laughs> LA style brush off, the worst. <laughs> Anyone who says they're going to do stuff and doesn't do it, deal breaker. Integrity. I hate people with no integrity. In the Midwest, we actually mean it when we say let's do lunch. We mean totally, it. totally. So whenever you come back to the Midwest, we're going to do lunch. All right. And yeah. I mean it. And, and you have to do the same Hagar anytime, anytime. What about Tuesday? I'm busy. I'm bu- <laughs> <laughs> Sammy, come on. Dave You're the every man. Any you show he wants. I'm ready. Uh, he's on Maui time. That's why. That's how Maui's, you just make up your own time. All right. Totally. What is your favorite curse word? I, I I I don't know. I'm I'm speechless. I try not to curse. Really? I I do my best unless I'm quoting lyrics. Yeah, that's impressive. Mm, I try not to. Well, what is your favorite curse word supplement? So like you know when you have kids, you could say uh, you know mother bear instead of motherfucker. Right? Hey, you just go oh, motherfucker like that that kind of a thing. That, okay, that's right. it. Right. I, I just try not to. All right. What sound or noise do you love? Van Halen, classic. Hey, hey! First six Van Halen albums and the first few Dave Lee Roth albums, right? Yes. 
Yes. Uh, what sound <laughs> do you hate? I'm scared now after that last answer. Oh, auto tune. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and any uh, any kind of garbage music. If you go to a, a wedding or a party and the music sucks, I don't care how good the food is. I don't ha- care how good <laughs> the people are. I will wear earplugs to your wedding or, or party. I That's hate great. it. So did you see that T-Pain can actually sing his ass off? Have you heard the covers? Totally. That was that's a fantastic Amazing. album. And I got to interview him over email when he was shilling for Laffy Taffy. Fun fact. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, you know, Ozzy Osbourne said that's the best cover of War Pigs. That that, that Sabbath cover is awesome. Yeah, amazing. More people okay. should talk about it. Yes. All right. So if you're listening, go check out T Pain singing War Pigs. It is phenomenal. I yeah. promise. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I would say a song doctor, like being the third person in the room that finishes producer? comes up with the songs. Okay. What profession would you not like to do? Anything that requires you to be up before seven in the morning. So a morning radio, (laughs) unless they're paying so much money. I called into a radio show today. They've had me on six times. I love those guys and it's great, but I am not me before 11. All right. The big one. This is it. Final question. If heaven exists, what musicians would you most like to jam with or hear? See, when you I wouldn't say Eddie Van Halen because he'd play too many notes and he'd make you feel inferior right <laughs> way. Sacrilege! Yeah, he would change keys way too much. And, <laughs> you know, like, you'd be suspicious. He'd be watching your hands. You're like, oh, man, this guy's not barring the frets correctly. So I would say you'd more want to play with Michael Anthony in, in heaven. Not that he's in heaven yet. Not dead yet. So give me some dead people. <laughs> I mean, Bowie, who doesn't like Bowie, ah. John Lennon or Frank Zappa? Uh, no, no, Frank Zappa would judge. Zappa would definitely judge. <laughs> uh, Lemmy would not judge. Lemmy no, would Lemmy's be a lot great. of fun, right? It, nice guy. You think yeah. Lemmy's in heaven if there's a heaven? He took over all, all the afterlife. Yeah. <laughs> Fine, but. <by. laughs> and he's likable. He's really likable. Yeah. Uh, Michael Anthony might be the only person liked more than Lemmy. All right. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Michael Anthony is still with us. So, Michael Anthony, get a book out so we can interview you. In fact, you should have Darren write your autobiography. Oh, That's you're too opinion. kind. You're too kind. Uh, hey, thank you for your support. Thank you for having me. Thank yeah. you for knowing so much about Van Halen and Diamond Dave. Thank you it's for been a fun conversation. A hey, hey uh, before we leave, though, what what is your uh, so where can they buy the book? Mm-hmm. They can buy it through Van Halen uh, store.com, Amazon, Target, Walmart, anywhere you find your books. Just put the name Darren Paltrowitz into the Google machine, enter DR, uh, DLR book, and it'll come up. Okay. And it's How David Lee Roth Changed the World. Let's plug your podcast. Where can they find the Poultrycast with Darren Paltrowitz and the DLR podcast? If you like audio only, the Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz is on Apple, Spotify, et cetera. But if you like the video component to see the celebrities that I'm speaking with, it is on Local Now, which Byron Allen, uh, his thing, and 150 or so uh, stations and OTT carriers. Again, put the damn name Darren Paltrowitz in the Google machine. Paltrowcast comes up pretty high up on there. And finally, if you need a licensed investigator to uh, check your <laughs> internet status and scrub your existence from the interwebs, how would they reach Darren Paltrowitz, licensed investigator? I can't guarantee I can scrub the existence, but I can tell you what's out there. How's that? I can okay. tell you what people can find and how to avoid it and maybe uh, what to do if it comes up. But uh, yeah, it's the same place. If you go to paltrowcast.com, it has the form to reach me, the TV show, the interviews that I tape five, six days a week, pretty easy to find. I write back to just about everybody who reaches out. So you know where to find me. 
Awesome. Any social medias you want to plug before we get out of here? At Paltrowitz on Twitter, X, uh, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, I think is Darren Paltrowitz, but yeah, I'm happy to speak to everybody. And uh, Ilan, thank you so much for your time. Man. Thank you, man. It was, it was a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for listening to Behind the Curtain, a What's Hot in the Strip Club's podcast on the Pantheon Podcast Network. We are found on all streaming platforms or go to www.whatshotitsc.com. Thanks for listening to What's Hot in the Strip Clubs with Danny Myers and Alon Fong, presented by Panda and Strip Joints Music. You can find us on all major podcast platforms. Thanks for listening. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.